Welcome to The Teaching Curve, a podcast exploring the pedagogy of global politics and international studies, produced under the auspices of the Innovative Pedagogy Initiative of the International Studies Association and made available through ISA's Professional Resource Center. I'm Jamie Free, Professor of Global Politics and Associate Provost at Bridgewater College. Each episode of The Teaching Curve is a conversation with a thoughtful and creative teacher of international studies. The goal is to celebrate and inspire pedagogical creativity by showcasing instructors who have devoted themselves to figuring out how to explain complexities in ways that students understand them and appreciate their importance. Learning requires students to create understandings where none previously existed. Teaching requires building environments where students are empowered and motivated to make those leaps of integration. Today's conversation is with Rebecca Glazier, Associate Professor in the School of Public Affairs at the University of Arkansas, Little Rock. Rebecca studies religion and politics, U.S. foreign policy, politics pedagogy. She teaches in both in-person and online formats, and her brand new book from Johns Hopkins University Press is Connecting in the Online Classroom, Building Rapport Between Teachers and Students. Our conversation covers how a faculty member taking the time to notice and express confidence in a student can have profound and even life-changing effects. What exactly makes online such a more difficult learning environment for many students, and what kinds of pedagogical tactics can address those challenges? And how innovative classroom structures and assignments can leverage the advantages of our discipline to create student engagement. So, Rebecca Glazier, welcome to the Teaching Curve podcast. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen, and I'm excited to talk to you about your new book. Um, but first, of course, we always start off by having people tell us a little bit about themselves and uh, about the people who make us teachers who are our students. So can you tell me a little bit about who you teach? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here and I'm thrilled to get to tell you about my students. I love teaching. I love my students. I'm at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, which is a metropolitan university here in our state capital in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I get to teach a really diverse uh, student population. So um, they're diverse in just about any way that you can think of. Uh, they're diverse in ethnic and racial terms, in socioeconomic terms. I have a lot of non-traditional students. So um, this semester I have someone who is in his 60s and I also have a couple 18 year olds. Um, I have students who are really well prepared who I would put up against you know, the best students in any Ivy League institution. And then I also have students who um, need some help being ready to work at a college level. Mm, so sure. um, it is really rewarding to, to teach these students and to help them succeed wherever they're at. Uh, what, tell me a little bit about the, um, the classroom environment you're, you're teaching um, and how many students get typically in a class, that kind of thing. Yeah, I feel really lucky because in my intro and in my upper division classes, I usually don't have more than maybe 25 students. So I always know all of my students' names. Um, I'm always able to remember them, to look them in the eyes and to connect with them on a human level. My online classes that I teach tend to get a little bit bigger. I might get up to 35 or 40 there. So I have to work a little bit harder to, to have that kind of one-on-one -on -one human connection with my students. Mm. But I think it's really important in either of those environments to 
to really um, help students feel seen and, and really make them feel that that connection uh, to build rapport with them in the class. Tell me a little bit about your background. Who who inspired you to want to be a really good teacher? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I think it probably happened a number of professors in my undergraduate. Um, I'm a first generation college student. And I think it happened um, when a professor pulled me aside and said, have you ever thought about graduate school? And I literally said, what is graduate school? I didn't even know what that was. And the idea that I could keep going to school was like, this is the best thing ever. And I, I wouldn't have known that that was even an option if I didn't have a professor who cared enough about me to see that potential and to suggest that to me. So that um, idea of being seen and having a professor who cared about me and who saw my potential um, and was willing to talk to me about my options after college, not just, you know, grade my work and get me through their class, mm -hmm. um, that altered the trajectory of my life. And so that really made me want to um, see my students in a, in a deeper way, more than just, you know, getting their grades done, helping them get through the class, but really to care about how they're doing as individual people. And I think what made the difference for me in graduate school is that I um, went to APSA's teaching and learning conference uh, and I met people who cared about teaching. Uh, I remember being on the job market and having gone to the, the TLC conference, I had, I had put together a pedagogy paper that was under review at the Journal of Political Science Education. I remember talking about that with people when I was on the job market. And at some institutions, they said, don't spend your time on that. That's not mm -hmm. going to count towards tenure. That's not uh, mm -hmm. the kinds of publications that we value here. And at other institutions, they said, that's fantastic. We're really excited that you care about pedagogy. You're just the kind of person that we're looking for. And that really helped me see what kind of a place I wanted to, to be at because because I, I like teaching, I enjoy it. I also really enjoy doing research and I enjoy doing uh, the scholarship of teaching and learning. Uh, and so to study teaching in a rigorous way and to do the substantive research that I do um, in religion and politics and in framing and in political communication and, and, and those types of fields, I wanna do both of those things. Mm. And so I think it's about finding an institution that um, supports and values the, the work that you want to do. And not all institutions do care about pedagogy. I think that that's changing. You know, this is a while back, maybe about uh, uh, 13, 14 years ago. So I think more institutions today, even major R1 institutions care about uh, pedagogy. And I think more graduate programs are starting to try to introduce that to their, to their students. Um, so it's something that has been really important to me. Tell me a little bit about um, the experience of teaching both in person and online. And how did that affect your ability to make the transition that we all had to do in the pandemic and get into kind of different modes? I mean, halfway through that spring 2020 semester. Yeah, so I, when I first started my very first uh, teaching job, they said, you know, welcome, you're a new professor, you're going to be teaching two classes in person and one class online. And I had had zero preparation for teaching online. I had no idea what it took to teach online. So I kind of just dove in and, and I cared about teaching. I felt like I was a good teacher and I just did my best teaching online. And I learned after a couple of semesters that 
my online students were not doing that well <laughs> compared to my in-person students. Hmm. Um, I looked at the retention rate, like the, the number of students who were earning Ds, Fs, or withdrawing from the class. And it was significantly higher in my online class compared to my face-to-face class. And that really bothered me as uh, someone who cares about teaching, but also as a social scientist, I was like, what's going on? You know, mm. it's the same content. It's the same assignments. It's the same book. I'm, I'm teaching the same lectures. I'm the same person. What's happening in my online classes? Uh, and so I looked closely at that and, and I figured out that really what was missing was this human connection, was this human element. Uh, and so I, this is where I really got into the scholarship of teaching and learning. And I designed a experiment where in some of my classes, I really worked hard to build rapport with my students to make that human connection with them. Uh, and I saw a significant increase in retention where I could completely eliminate that gap between my online and my face-to-face classes. And so when it came time for the pandemic, I already had some of those tools. Like I knew how to build rapport with my students. But that process for me began probably 12 years ago when I started teaching online for the first time and saw how my students online were really struggling compared to my face-to-face classes and how important that human connection was. Yeah, and uh, luckily the rest of us can learn from that wisdom too because there's a book coming out. I believe it's next week or uh, in in the very near future, shall we say um uh, uh, about tactics for making connections online with uh, students can you tell us uh, what tell us about the book yeah yeah thanks so much for asking so december 7th is the official release day uh yeah which is uh, connecting in the online classroom building rapport between teachers and students uh with john hopkins university press and and that's the book uh that i you know took these 10 12 years worth of data from that study that I mentioned together with uh, three, four additional studies that I've run with uh, various colleagues, uh, bringing together that data and a bunch of other research to build with lots of tips and, and ideas and teaching hacks for how to, to connect with students uh, to try to show that we're really in a crisis of online retention where our students in online classes are failing and dropping out at much higher rates. And mostly the higher education community has just kind of said, well, you know, online enrollment just keeps going up. So this is fine. We're just going to ignore this and, and basically treat online students like second class students, just say it's okay that their classes just aren't as good and that they just keep dropping out. Like that'll be fine. And it's just, I think it's just not okay. And that there are foundational equity issues here because a Mm. lot of students who take online classes are first generation students, are students of color, are students from lower socioeconomic statuses, are students who are working, are students who are parents, Mm. uh, and they need the flexibility of online classes and we need to deliver them better classes. And really when they have that human connection, they're going to be more likely to succeed when they see their professor as a real person who cares about their success. Mm. Um, and we've got experimental data and survey data. Um, really, uh, I think this is something that a lot of us believe from our own experience that when we connect with students, they're going to be more successful. But what the book adds is real hard numbers that show statistically that students are more likely to succeed when we build rapport with them. Mm. So I'm excited to be able to add that into the conversation and to show faculty and administrators that it's worth 
our time to, to really build those relationships with our students. So uh, that's fantastic. Um, did in the course of this is, were you able to identify to kind of diagnose, I guess, what the root causes that causes those differences between the online version and the in-class version? I mean, I, I would be able to speculate, but I'm interested in, in what, it, what is the exact problem that you think needs to be solved in order to create, to balance those, those uh, outcomes? Yeah, so it's something that the literature calls transactional distance, which is just basically feeling like there's greater distance between people. So we can just try to close that in all kinds of ways. And some of them can feel really resource intensive, like sending personalized emails to every one of the students or, you know, calling them up and saying, hey, how are you doing in the class? What can mm -hmm. I do to help you? And that can take a whole lot of time. Um, but we actually did a minimum report experiment to say, okay, if we're just going to just try to do some basic, basic things that aren't going to take a ton of our time, can that yeah. really make a difference for students? And we found that things as simple as putting your picture up in the online module, having like a nice welcome message, setting automated messages so that when students like complete an exam or turn in an assignment that says like, you did it. Thanks so much for turning in your first assignment or yeah. you've completed exam too. I will get them graded to you by Friday. Something as simple as that, which takes almost no effort. It's an automated message. Makes students feel like, yeah, thank you for that validation. Thank you for right. seeing me. Thank you for the picture. Like there is a 15% increase in their likelihood of staying in the course just with those very, very simple things. That's amazing. So it's just a humanizing. It's just helping students and faculty see each other as human beings. And it's hard when we don't have, you know, the casual interactions, you know, standing by the elevator or passing in the quad or just chatting before class or having someone who doesn't feel comfortable in front of the whole classroom saying something, but might come up after class and say, hey, will you tell me a little bit more about realism? Like, mm -hmm. We, it's, you, it's hard to replicate that in the online classroom. And so we as professors have to take some extra steps to make that possible for students. And sometimes that means reaching out to the student who's had their camera off and hasn't said a word for the first three weeks of class just to say, you know, hey, Jamie, I just wanted to check in with you and see how you're doing in the class. I haven't heard a lot from you, but I want to just let you know that I, I really care about what you have to say. And if you don't want to add something verbally, you can always add something in the chat. You can always email me directly. I would just love to hear what you have to contribute to our class. So um, um, my sense of this is that Zoom is fairly new. So when you were teaching online before pre-Zoom, um, was that, you know, now we all know the term synchronous, asynchronous, those kinds of things. Tell me a little bit about pre-Zoom teaching online? Yeah, my classes have always been pre-COVID totally asynchronous, um, which allows the greatest amount of flexibility for the students, but also makes it the most challenging for connecting with them because mm. you don't have any um, time that is set to be together. Mm -hmm. And so you have the greatest amount of transactional distance to bridge. So it can be really tricky in a, in a totally asynchronous class. Um, some things that I like to do is to have discussion boards that 
are only tangentially related to the course material or sometimes not related at all. You know, we're, we're just going to talk about like, where's your favorite place to get tacos or what are you binge watching right now? Or um, what was the best part of your break? Or maybe, you know, uh, what's happening in the news right now that uh, how would realism respond to that? Or, or what would constructivism say about what's going on with North Korea right now? So that students are engaging with something that's happening in the news, but it isn't like totally like boring, what does this reading have to say kind of a thing so that they see each other as real people and are able to engage and, you know, talk about tacos or share their pet pictures or something like that. So they see each other as real people and it feels more humanizing. Yeah, with some depth there. It's not just what can you bring to this particular conversation, but we see you as somebody who's got all those life experiences that make for an, an interesting perspective, perhaps, that you could bring in and help us understand what it looks like to you. Yeah, you know, one of the most fun assignments I ever have done for my foreign policy class, uh, which worked great in a totally asynchronous class, is uh, about two thirds of the way through the semester, I had them do an assignment where they created foreign policy memes, where they took a concept about foreign policy and then explained it through a meme. And that was the discussion board for the week was people sharing their memes and having to explain something really uses those higher order thinking skills. Then they're much more likely to remember those concepts. Hmm. Humor helps people remember things as well. The students got such a kick out of the discussion boards. We shared them on Twitter. People on Twitter thought their memes were hilarious. The students just got really excited that, you know, the editors from foreign policy magazine liked their memes. So that, you know, they got a huge kick out of that. So it, it's That's a awesome. really successful assignment that totally built rapport in our class and can happen completely asynchronously. Right. You know, and when we are looking ahead to what's coming next down the road for higher education, I think that people who are teaching in international studies really have an opportunity to lead in terms of inclusion and innovation because mm. a lot of that is coming in online for higher education. And international studies has a lot that we're already doing that is helpful in terms of innovating online, like using uh, cool classroom materials like maps or doing simulations or connecting with people around the world. Like these are things that are only amplified when we move them online. And mm -hmm. so we should use those tools to help make our classes, whether they're face-to-face -face or online, even better, more engaging, helping students have those cutting edge skills and tools where they don't feel like they're doing the same old repetitive assignments, but they're doing something that's innovative and engaging and forward thinking. Because then the students are going to be even more excited and engaged in our classes. When they see us doing neat things that are innovative and forward thinking, they're going to be even more engaged in the class. And the data that we've collected uh, bears that out. Let me ask you this. You, you mentioned uh, at the beginning about kind of uh, the, the difficulties with teaching online uh, without some of these strategies. And, and I think it's fair to say that, um, at least for me, and, and I think for many people, that online teaching had a, a negative reputation. I'm interested in whether you think the adaptations that were necessary to deal with the pandemic um, help or 
hurt the reputation, that reputation that we're talking about? Do, do you think that people now are more willing to accept kind of online or maybe even hybrid teaching in some ways? Um, or, or do you think that people had a negative experience with it generally? Yeah, um, that's tricky. I think that there's always going to be some online curmudgeons who are like, not a fan. This is not the way to teach. Uh, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. And I don't think anyone should be forced to teach online. If you are running a department and there are people who say, I hate teaching online, I don't want to do it. Do not make those people teach online. That's just going to make them miserable. It's going to make your students miserable. It's not going to be good for anyone. Mm. Um, I do think it's hard to, to take the experience of teaching during the pandemic and say, this is online teaching because mm. it, it has been a unique situation. Because a lot of students who are taking online classes during the pandemic are not students who chose online classes. So they may not be the most enthusiastic of online learners, right? right They're right. kind of being uh, uh, taken into the situation against their will. Um, whereas a lot of the online students during normal circumstances are opting into the medium because it, it, they want it, it fits their life, they need the flexibility and, and maybe they know what they're getting into, right? They're ready to structure their time and um, be prepared for the particular skill set that taking online classes requires. Mm -hmm. I do think that some people are coming out now that we're, I don't know, attempting to get closer to back to normal, <laughs> right? Knock on wood. Some people are coming out of this experience I think with a better view of online teaching, or at least with their own perspective shifted to think mm -hmm. um, I can be more flexible or I can do this in a better way than I did it before. Mm -hmm. I do think it gives all of us an opportunity to pause and think, what was I doing beforehand that I can reevaluate, that, that I had to reevaluate during this crisis. And now I realize, huh, I didn't need to be doing that or mm -hmm. now that I was forced to do things different I actually like doing it this way better or this is actually better for my students or better mm. for me or better for all of us and I think um, we're learning some lessons for the long term that maybe some of the changes that are coming from the pandemic are changes that we're going to want to keep maybe we don't want to go all the way back to normal no I, th I think that I mean that's certainly true for me where um, I have found things that I, I otherwise would not have been forced to reevaluate in my teaching um, and that that produced innovations and and new ways of framing assignments new ways of thinking about how I present things to the students that ended up making me a better teacher for sure um, and and so there's ways to leverage even the worst case scenarios into things that you can learn from Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, uh, Rebecca, this has just been fantastic. I, I um, appreciate the opportunity to hear from somebody who spent so much time and effort putting into making this mode of teaching better for yourself. And thank you for putting that out there so that the rest of us can learn from it too. Oh, well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk with you and to be on this great podcast. I really appreciate all that you do for for the discipline and especially for, for students and for all of us who care about teaching. So thank you. Great, thanks very much.
For those interested in joining the conversation about global politics pedagogy, don't forget to register today for ISA's Innovative Pedagogy Conference, Tuesday, March 29th in Nashville. We all have so much to talk about. The Teaching Curve podcast is made available in ISA's Professional Resource Center under the auspices of the Innovative Pedagogy Initiative. You can send feedback or suggestions for future interviews to teachingcurve at isonet.org. And please do follow us on Twitter at Teaching Curve. Thank you all for joining us again on The Teaching Curve. And remember, learn something every time you teach.